And you just have to trust that the other person knows what they're doing and your partner's for a reason, I guess what I'm trying to say. My mentality and our mentality has always been, you hire based on work ethic and personality. Um, you can always teach skill, but we kind of lucked out and we ended up with a staff that has both, which is super rare. So you just have to put a lot of faith in the people around you. But if you get that part right, you're gonna do okay. This is Pittsburgh, a place where a rich heritage of making things and a fierce independent nature come together to create a thriving entrepreneurial community. Whether you're a small business owner looking for ideas or inspiration, or you're an enthusiastic supporter of local businesses, you'll find it here. I'm your host, Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Today, my guests are Julie and Matt Costco, owners of Reginald's Coffee. Thanks so much for being on the show, guys. I really appreciate you being on today. Thank you for having us. Yes. Yeah, of course. Let's talk first about the namesake of your business, Reginald. Who is Reginald and how did he inspire you to name the business after him? So a lot of people ask if Matt is actually Reginald and no, the answer is no. So uh, Reginald is one of our dogs. We have two dogs. So always got to give a shout out to Lulu. Um, he was a rescue dog. And we always say like he has the personality. If he were a human, like he would hang out at a coffee shop, probably get like a Cortado. Like he <laughs> just has go. that personality. Do you so. ever bring him to the shop? Does he ever hang out in the shop? Yeah, sometimes we do. The customers really like it. We kind of have to um, keep him to the outskirts of the building, not necessarily like in our shop. Really he hangs like, out sometimes, yeah, he's, he's the mascot. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, I, I figured, you know, when I saw the logo, which is a really great logo, by the way, I figured he was your dog, but I could see how sometimes I might think it's somebody's name or a family name or, or a person. So that's, but that's kind of cool. Obviously he was your dog and he, he means a lot to you, but what inspired him to be the actual mascot? And you said, you know, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna actually go with that as the name. So I think, it's kind of a memorable name. So we call him Reggie, but his formal proper name is Reginald. It's just a name that you kind of remember. So that was in our favor. I always tell people like another famous Reginald is Elton John, which a lot of people don't know. Oh, really? So I didn't that's know a that. fun fact. His cool. real name is Sir Reginald, whatever, whatever. So No kidding. I did not yeah. know that. So it's kind of a unique name. And then I it think is. it just represents us because um, we like to think that it's a fun, welcoming shop. And I mean, there are some people that aren't dog people, but a dog just kind of represents like a friendly atmosphere. So kind of goes cool along that, with yeah. the branding and goes along with a friendly coffee shop yeah. and a neighborhood feel and everything like yeah. that. Yeah. So we can't talk about Reginald's Coffee without talking about this amazing building that you're in. So tell me a little bit about the building that we're in, the history of the building that we're in, and how did you get here? How did you get a space in this building? Sure. So... Um, we had to figure out how we could actually make it a real reality. A lot of the other commercial spaces we wanted to look at and we're thinking about were sort of out of our reach. So we had to kind of get creative in terms of what we could do to make it work. So we started thinking about uh, reaching out to nonprofits and things like that. And we, we had been in this building previously and really thought it was something else. And at the same time, there was a, a big group of people that had sort of turned it around. They replaced a number of the windows, renovated a number of the rooms, and I reached out and they really liked the idea and they took a leap of faith with us because really we hadn't done anything like this before either. So it was really a case where all these things sort of came together and worked out and here we are today. Tell me about the building itself. It's, it's a nonprofit then that actually owns and controls the building and what was this building? It's an awesome building. 
It's got this really cool train trolley or, or streetcar out front. How long is it? So it sounds like it was already a space available for lease or rent before you guys got into it. So describe it a little bit. Uh, yeah, so the Bethel Park Historical Society owns the building. Uh, again, they're a nonprofit. Um, they basically have uh, put together a capital campaign to get the building up to its original glory, uh, make, it, make it occupiable again. What was it? It was the original school for the Bethel Park area, mm. I believe. Uh, it was built in 19... So it was a schoolhouse. Right, mm-hmm. right. I believe it was built in 1905 and then added on to later on in the 20s. Mm. We're in one of the original rooms downstairs, the 1905 rooms. So one of the ways you were able to keep costs down is that you were able to... You were looking then for location options when you were starting your business and you were, you were reaching out to nonprofits because you wanted a place that was going to be affordable, that was going to be a good fit, that was going to have all those different factors in one for you then. Right, yeah, no. Um, they, they showed us a room, they showed us this room that we're sitting in now, and we were kind of blown away at how beautiful it was, even though it was in some disrepair. And what we were able to do was we were able to renovate the room itself for the historical society rather than money, which we didn't have a ton of to be able to start this. We did have some elbow grease that we could spend and, um, and some skill to be able to do it. So, and it's also kind of a feel good thing too. So yeah. Speaking of that, actually in terms of the build out, you, you have an engineering background, I understand, right? Yeah, that's right. And so, uh, what was your role in, how did that help you in the build out of the space and, and what role did that, that background play for you in terms of being able to, you know, I'm not sure how involved it sounds like you were involved in the renovation. So how did your background play into that? And, and how did you approach the work that you did on the inside of the cafe? I would say, I would say the most helpful thing was figuring out the equipment and the processes for coffee. I mean, it's, it's definitely a very like process driven, consistency driven business. And were you involved in actually doing some of the construction work or did you, did you oversee others or were you actually doing, putting in the elbow grease and actually doing, painting the walls and, and, and actually improving the space? Yeah, we, we did pretty much everything except for the plaster, the electrical and the plumbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for the most part, we're... So you'd handle a lot of the carpentry then yeah, yeah, type we, work. Yeah, we, we built the whole countertop or we built the whole um, counter area. That's great. Uh, poured concrete slab on the top of the counter and then really set up all the equipment ourselves. Julie, you, you have an, an architecture background, an interior design background, right? So how did your background help you? I mean, it seems like you guys really have a complementary set of skills, architecture, engineering, interior design, it's kind of a perfect match for being able to create something like this, a, ni- a really nice cafe setting, a really nice brick and mortar. How did your role play into how everything shaped up here? Well, thank you first. So yeah, like you said, my background's more architectural, interior design. Um, the cool thing though, in my past jobs, I've always kind of had a little bit of a marketing role in those companies. So I had created just kind of simple like logos or marketing material before. So this was kind of on a larger scale. But I think when we approach this, we kind of have this cool yin and yang, like you said. So my role was really kind of the creative part of it. So figuring it out What's going to look cool in a photo, as cheesy as that sounds, but social media. It's important today, right? Yeah, Yeah. it's everything. So my job was kind of, how do we get people there? And then Matt's job was, how do I make 
coffee good enough to keep people coming back. So he's being humble about the build out. I mean, he did a ton of stuff. And I think even just figuring out like simple dimensions on trim work and stuff like that, he had a huge part in. It was hands-on. I mean, we had family members help, my parents, his parents. It was all kind of hands-on deck. Um, The day that we poured the concrete countertops was a stressful day. I think we were all kind of clenching a bit for that one um, because once you start pouring, you got to keep rolling. But by doing that, we were able to get some finishes that looked expensive, but that we're able to do a lot ourselves. I mean, construction can be expensive. So by you doing most of it and having your family involved, you were able to save a lot of money, I'd imagine, and get this done in a, in a budget that, that fits what you're, and what, tell me a little bit more about the branding and your background with the branding. What were some of the thoughts that you had about what you were, you were creating, you know, ambiance wise? I think the first thing was the name that we had come up with and kind of the logo and took it from there. It's, it's half sophisticated, half kind of fun. So it was kind of a play of what we wanted to create. And I think the actual space, this schoolhouse dictated a lot of what we put into it and the finishes we chose and even like paint colors and things like that. So we wanted to stay true to the building and what was already here without distracting too much from it while also highlighting, you know, the cafe. So keeping the original floors, picking paint colors that were, you know, appropriate, but not too gaudy or looking out of place and things like that. We were able to salvage a lot of the original hardware, original doors, like the transom windows, which I know you viewers can't see. Those are awesome, yeah. Yeah, but they're the little windows on top of the doors that in the old days before schools had great ventilation system, they would actually open them to let airflow get in and out. So by like refinishing some of those things, our menu is actually written on one of the original chalkboards that was from the schoolhouse. Oh, wow, that's great. So we were able to salvage some details like that, which is, and that sucker weighed like, 250 pounds. I mean, to get it up there was a feat in itself, but we're no super kidding. proud. It, it doesn't even look like it would be that heavy, but I can imagine yeah. if it's a real blackboard, it probably is. It's it like is a slate or slate. something, right? Yep. <laughs> and I mean, what you said makes so much sense and that you were being true to the space. You were respecting the environment. That's also a great hallmark of a designer, right? That you're building, you're not trying to conflict and contrast with your space, but trying to embrace it. Yeah. And and the coolest thing and the best compliment we can get is when somebody comes in and they'll say, oh, my mother went to school here. We have a customer, actually somebody from the Bethel Park Historical Mm -hmm. Society, his mother went to school here and she actually had class in this very room we're sitting in. And she comes in and she's, you know, if she's not offended by it and she likes it and she thinks it's pretty, I think then it's a win-win. I mean, that's cool because Yes, what you're doing is different than the original purpose maybe of the building, but you're also part of the preservation of the building. You know, the historical society is obviously in charge of it. That's not your role, but just by being an operator, you're carrying the legacy forward. And and those people that did have a memory in the school, even though it looks different now, at least they can still experience it, right? In in a way. And so that's, you're playing an important role in that respect for for the neighborhood. So that's great. Yeah, we hope so. Thank you. So Matt, it sounds like you went down that slippery slope that so many people do from hobby roaster to starting a business. You know, it's like you get excited of doing it at home and you're, you know, you probably fell in love with the product and the process and said, why not create a business out of it? I'm curious, what spoke to you about roasting coffee when you were doing it as a hobby that led you to say, you know what, I want to actually do this as a real business and not just for friends and family. The coffee was really good and I definitely don't want to sound... Like, I've got a big head about it, but we would drink a lot of coffee from other places and it just wasn't as good as the coffee that I was roasting. And and a lot of people were saying that and, and it really encouraged us. And 
it really was a great opportunity again for Julie to to showcase her skills and things like that. So it didn't take long for me to want to start a business, but it did take a long time to from the point where we were like, let's start a business to the to point launch where it. We okay. Had a so business. the seeds were planted early right. on, but it was still something that you were working towards and and thinking about and right. planning. Absolutely. And looking for the right space and figuring out your budget before you actually pull the trigger and, and went for it then. Cool. Yep, absolutely. In terms of what what spoke to you about roasting, you know, a lot of engineers are known for being tinkerers and roasting is there's an art and a science to, to roasting. And did some of that tinkering and science aspect, did it call to you because of your background or because of your prior interests? It really fit with it really fit with my background, the technical nature of it, just being able to look at something and say, okay, I could, I could do this, figure out how to do it, figure out how to do it well, and then potentially scale it. It really, really was a, an attractive thing. And not to mention how much people like it. I mean, I was, back when we first started, I used to say, like, I, I used to sell some engineering services, which people are not super excited to buy, right? You, 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 they sit across the table from you and they, you're trying to sell them on it. But Everybody loves coffee, and a lot of right. people love coffee, right. so it's a fun product to figure out. And were you a coffee lover before this started? Is that what got you into hobby roasting to begin with? Did you? Yep, absolutely. We would, I mean, we would visit places like our place now. Every time we'd go to different cities, that was... Trying the local coffee yep. shop, seeing what other cities had to offer. Yep, that's great. So, Julie, the, the morning ritual of getting coffee for people, getting up, going to the local coffee shop, having a conversation with their barista, this is an important daily ritual, right, for most people. And I'm sure you have regulars and you probably see people coming in. What do you think it is that's so special about coffee and about that, that morning ritual that, that gets people excited and looking forward to making that stop on the way to work? And how do you shape and design that and think about that in your own business to, to provide that, that great experience for the guest? Well, we've all woken up on the wrong side of the bed before. And I think stopping at that coffee shop your first interaction of the day might be with one of our staff or me or Matt or somebody that works here. And just that interaction can set your day in one way or the other. So I always tell our people, you know, you're, you're the first person that maybe that's somebody seeing and maybe they're off to a bad start, but you have the power to change that. So I know it's silly and it could just be a simple, hey, how's it going this morning? So that's super important. I mean, we always want to put out a quality product, but your interaction with the customer is just as important. So we stress that. The other thing is I think just, just in the details, you know, if you walk into a place and you don't have to think very much. It's just very natural that you go to the register, you have your interaction, then you go get your coffee, then you put your creamer. If you don't have to like think about any of those details and you leave and it's easy and nothing jumps out at you as like, that was weird. And it could just be like where your coffee sleeves are placed and how easy it is to grab them. So I overthink everything, <laughs> maybe to my detriment sometimes, but it's just about creating that experience that's friendly and that's easy for someone. It is kind of something comforting about knowing what to expect and being able to stop at that place, that local stop. And it, it, for some people, it could be a restaurant and for some people, it's a cafe and they kind of know what they're going to get. And I love how you're really emphasizing that, that ritual. You're kind of reinforcing that ritual or that routine to make it easy for somebody to fall into and to love coming in every day. Yeah, and I think, you know, with a lot of, I guess we're considered third wave coffee. And with that can sometimes come 
pretentiousness. And I don't think that's true in every, in, you know, in Pittsburgh, I don't think that's kind of a theme. But, you know, we've been to coffee shops in other towns, and I'm not going <laughs> to mention any names. But you never want it to feel like unapproachable. So you can still serve really great coffee and help. Maybe somebody wants to know what a pour over is. And it's okay if they don't know, but maybe they'll try it. And then they're open to this whole different experience you're educating as you're as, as they're as they're coming yeah. in and you're not being i know what you mean because there's some places in some cities can be pretentious and can be you know they, it can be stuffy and snobby and i agree with you i don't think pittsburgh's like that at all and we're friendly and that's what we're known for and so it would not surprise me at all that all of our local roasters are embracing people and helping them learn more about the coffee they're drinking so that's refreshing and good to know yeah absolutely 100 percent. and so i understand that you do the roasting, Matt, you're in charge of the roasting, but you're in charge of running the cafe. Is that right? Um, I'd say that. Or do you share some of the duties? Yeah, I'd say that's definitely a joint effort. I guess I am more involved in the menu and when we have drink specials and that kind of thing. Matt is definitely in charge of like making sure everything's consistent, that that shot's pouring the same, it's all dialed in, everything's consistent in that sense. Um, so I'd say that's really a team effort. I mean, he's certainly here more than I am. I'm usually like the weekend crew or the late night behind the scenes kind of person. He works in the cafe more than I do. So I'd say it's definitely a team effort. And, and so that, yeah. and so you, it, I, the reason why I asked that is because you also have another job, right? So you work for somebody else and you're doing this business and you're working together as a team. What are some of the daily challenges or weekly challenges that you face, Julie, or, or that you've encountered just in, since you've been open in trying to balance those two things, right? You're, you're playing these two different roles of, of being an employee and maintaining that and also being involved in the cafe to the extent that you can in partnership with Matt. How do you balance that? How do you approach that? What are some things that you've learned? So I am fortunate to work for a great company. Um, it's called Interface. They're based out of Atlanta, but I do work from home. So it provides me flexibility where if there is a midday emergency and Matt's not available, I, I can help in that sense. So the just the logistics of my day job are helpful to this and you make up the hours when you need to. Um, but I would say, you know, the biggest thing when we started this, it was the commitment that Matt was going to go all in and then I was going to keep, I call it my day job, but I do like what I do in my day job. But I think when we first started, you know, when you're starting a small business, it's, it's scary because there's so much risk. And if you both jump in full, you know, all in, what are you going to do about health insurance and all those things? So it was scary. So we made this deal that Matt was going to go full in and I would help out as much as I possibly could. It's certainly a challenge. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's not. But for the most part, I mean, I think it's it's working for us. And Matt is doing a great job. And we have an awesome staff. And I always have to give them a shout out. So I think, I mean, they're all holding down the fort. And I luckily don't have to intervene too much. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like your strategy is smart. Because for anybody listening to this that's starting a business or wants to start a business, that, you know, if you, especially if you're fortunate enough to, to be in a partnership or, or, or it's a couple or, or whatever it is, it's two people or more working together, an advantage you have is to somebody can provide the stability uh, at least during a certain period. And it could be indefinite or it could be just a, a certain period to, to, to allow that risky part to happen. I always like to say that Julie has, she's taken charge of the customer experience, right? Like, I don't think I would have sold much coffee had we not had such a beautiful cafe for people to come into and a cool brand for people to fall in love with. And, and that's really, I think, what's carrying us and, and what's um, given us a, a kickstart. Yeah, I love that complimentary nature of what you both bring to the table, and I think it works. It's one of the beautiful things about partnerships. You know, When they work, they can work really well, right? When you have compliments and you have 
you can clearly see that things would not be the same had it not been for the added nature of both parts. You know, and I think that's 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 awesome. I mean, single person can absolutely create an amazing business, and it happens all the time. But it is so there is something cool about two or more people coming together and creating something awesome because they've added some things together in a way that really add up to more than maybe one could do by themselves. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. Um, so you you obviously roast your own coffee for your drinks for your cafe, and do you also wholesale your coffee yet, or is that something you're planning on doing? Um, not so much. We have one wholesale account where the guest roaster at Gasoline Street Coffee, which is uh, down, I, I can't remember the name of the street, but it's downtown near one of the trolley stops, the first trolley stop downtown. Is Definitely. that a growth area for, is that something that you plan to do more of um, this wholesale or is it something that you're just content kind of doing what you're doing within the cafe? I'd really like to, I do want to make sure that we're uh, maintaining really great quality and um, that the cafe's hypothetical cafes that we work with in the future will honor that as well. How did that account come to be then? Did you, did they actually seek you out or did you, did you seek them out? Alex, he, he's the manager there. He um, was coming into our store once in a while and he, he offered it to us. Um, he said it would be just a small, maybe five pounds a week account. So, and he's really been happy with us for a while. He said, he told me the other day that uh, they typically keep a roaster on for a month or so. And we've been on for, I want to say five, six months now. And and he told us specifically that he was happy with what we were doing and what we were providing. So, But if you were to meet with a, a restaurant owner or a cafe owner who's not roasting their own, who who is open to roasting other, sorry, brewing other coffee that's roasted elsewhere, or you're, you're at a brick and mortar store that would stock bags of coffee. Have you thought about how you would approach them or speak with them about Reginald's coffee? Like, how would you describe your approach, your coffee? What would be the pitch? What would be, what makes you different? I mean, would you taste test with them? Would you educate them on some points about coffee if they didn't know a whole lot about it? Would you ask them questions about what they're currently offering? How would you describe or approach a, a meeting like that? Yeah, this is a good question because it's it's just sort of the stuff we're talking about now. You know, how do we sell more of our product? Um, definitely would want to let them sample what we're doing. Um, definitely, it would be it would be cool to do like a proper cupping program with cafes and things like that. We have to really shore up our own internal cupping program in terms of how like how we choose what beans we roast. Right now, it's a little bit more off the cuff, you know, we, we order some samples and we roast them up and we, we all try them and, and, and then give our opinions. And it's not, it's not as technical as I'd like it to be. And, and we've got to, again, move towards that. But I could see us definitely doing that for potential customers in the future. And in terms of what you're offering here in the cafe, are you, are you trying different beans and different varieties in the cafe? Or, or have you zeroed in on anything that you're keeping that's a favorite that you're keeping uh, steady, or are you still at the point where you're just trying a lots lots of different things? Yeah, so we try to follow like a, uh, no, I don't want to call it a generic model, but we we like to keep at least some sense of consistency with our schoolhouse blend um, or whatever other house blend. So you have at least like one or two or something right. that are the consistent that people can expect time and time again. Right, absolutely. Um, the seasonality of coffee though really allows us to like rotate and have an interesting lineup of different things all the time. It's just like grapes and wine, right? You have different areas that grow grapes, different areas that grow coffee. 
and different areas that that harvest at different times of the year, just different qualities to these different regions that produce coffee. So it's got some just some intrinsic like variety in it by itself. I mean, isn't that also part of what makes you know third wave coffee or you know what you guys are doing unique is that it is different. I mean, maybe you want a few blends or something that you're creating consistency because your customers are coming back for that again, but also are guests interested in experimenting and trying new things and having some variety also? Because I would imagine that's what makes a shop like this different than your big corporate chain who's trying to make everything taste the same all the time. Yeah. Part of, I mean, part of what we are trying to do is we're trying to bring this to the suburbs of Pittsburgh. Um, where where the where the the client base may be a little more apprehensive to try something new until they try something that's relatively consistent and then we kind of convince them to try something a little bit new to to just i guess trust us in terms of what we're what we're producing and like you know you get to know people over time you you get to know what suggestions you can make to them and which is part of the experience too right i, I mean and that's a good point too is 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 that also part of what makes you different is the coffee scene in here in Pittsburgh, I mean, a lot of the there are a lot of small batch roasters, but they are more concentrated in the city, aren't they? And so it's part of what make makes you different that you're a little further out, you're a little bit more suburban, and there's probably less of that. And you're bringing that, like you said, to the suburbs and to the neighborhoods where people are living. And, and so that's not just all concentrated in the city. Yeah. So the funny thing about all these places being close to the city, which is awesome because, you know, population density and you have the right clientele there. But there's people that really want this stuff. And just because we're in the suburbs, why should we lack culture or community and all that sort of stuff? So I think our goal was like, you know, in a nutshell, and it sounds cliche, but like bring cool stuff out to the suburbs, you know, because there's a lot of people out here who appreciate it just as much as everybody going into Lawrenceville or all those other places. So it's just kind of branching out. And it's also kind of in our favor from a marketing standpoint, because it's not out in the suburbs. I mean, there's like Convive out in the North Hills, which is great, and they're kind of doing a similar thing up there. But there's not a lot of that, if any, in the South Hills. So it was kind of in our favor. Yeah, we're taking- So you saw, you saw a gap in the market and an opportunity to bring to the suburbs, you know, something that wasn't real, or at least this part of, of the city that wasn't really here. And, and that's a role that you're filling. Totally, because it's either, you know, you're one of 10 or you're taking a risk and you might be the only one in your little suburb. So it's, it's certainly a different market, but we have a really cool demographic here. We have anywhere from high school kids to people that went to school in this building that are an older demographic. So it's cool. So we try to cater to everybody because there's a lot of families out here in the suburbs. There's a lot of, just a lot of everybody. So it's kind of cool. So we've tried to bring some of that city vibe a little bit further down 51. So you, you host events in the cafe. You've had some pop-ups and you have some events. Could you tell me, Julie, like what are, what's some of the thought process or criteria you have for what types of things that you do involve yourself, involve your business in beyond just the regular, you know, the normal cafe experience. So how do you make those decisions? I think first we look at like, who's it benefiting? Is this just for us or can we tie it to an organization? So we had um, Clay and Cole who works for us. They helped us throw a latte art throwdown here uh, in the fall. And it was part of a charity event for the Bethel Park Historical Society. So I think we look at, can it get back to an organization or the community in some way? And then I think the other thing is, what doesn't go on in the South Hills that we could maybe just bring a little taste of? And one thing that I love, and I know Matt, 
We love going to like antique markets or Pittsburgh Flea or just really cool like markets like that. And you just don't get a lot of that out here. So we're doing it on like a smaller scale. We have an event actually here in the near future, but we're just trying to do kind of smaller scale things. Maybe it's a mini pop-up market. Maybe it's a mobile flower truck, which um, Victoria's mobile flower will be here in the springtime. So it's just something that... Normally, you'd have to drive a lot closer to the city to get to, whereas we're trying to bring a little bit of that out to out to the South Hill. So it's kind of finding, you know, what what's lacking? What would be cool? How would somebody like to spend their Saturday doing with their coffee? So we try to tie it into brands that have the same quality and, and mission and stuff like that that we do. So yeah. And also, if you go out into the community, I don't know if you've done any events that have been outside of your building, but it's also an opportunity to extend your brand, right, as well, or maybe take it to a part of the city that isn't as less familiar with it or a way to branch out what you're doing too. Yeah. And we haven't done a ton outside of our space. I think, you know, when we first started this, it was let's perfect this and then branch outwards or, you know, whatever we need to do. So I think we haven't done a ton of that, like outside of our actual space, but we would certainly like to. So definitely some future plans to get get our name out there a little bit. And we've started to network with some of the other awesome roasters like Commonplace and some of the other ones that are on this podcast. So the Pittsburgh coffee community is very welcoming, as you've probably found out already. So, yes, um, so it's cool to be able to partner with them on things also. And they've, they've been gracious enough to kind of embrace the new kids on the block and let us be involved in things like the Pittsburgh Latte Art Throwdown and things like that. So Awesome. Yeah. Matt, so somebody listening to this wants to start a business just like you guys did and you know, maybe they're in the process of thinking about it. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be related to coffee. What advice would you give them to do that successfully? And, you know, what types of things did you learn in your journey to get you to here and, and that you would like to share with somebody else? If you can find good things to bring along with you or help push towards success, then the success finds you naturally, if that makes sense. And, and that's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a hard concept to really get until you see it work for yourself. But just like the, the Bethel Park Historical Society, you know, it's a little thing, but our rent goes towards a good thing. And, and um, they've been incredible to us since that. And that's, that's just one of many, many examples. Um, so I it can, sounds like if you can also tie your, your enterprise into something that's giving back, that's like a double win, you know, like in your case, you're supporting this building, this historical society, and you're also, you're providing jobs and you're creating a good product for the public to enjoy. So it's kind of like, if you can marry that all together, that that's part of it as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and good people too. Like, um, I have to say, I have to give Cole and Clay a shout out too, cause they're young, creative kids that are, are trying to do their thing too. And we want to help them as much as we can. So the other people that are working for us, Caroline and Becky, if there's anything we can ever do for them or to help them throughout their career and lives, then that's sort of what's important to us or one big important thing to us. Julie, um, what advice would you share specifically though, as it pertains to doing two things in terms of having, you know, juggling, having a full-time job and and starting a business, you know, whether it's with a partner or with not. I mean, what, what types of things have you learned in terms, of, in terms of balancing those two things that you would sh- like to share with somebody who may be listening, who's also in that same position? You know, they have that, that dream, but they also have that job that's providing the steady income maybe for their family or, or even just for themselves, but they, they still want to do this other thing. What, what can you share that, that can maybe benefit them or help them to be able to realize that dream and, and to be able to balance and do those, those two things? 
So it would be tough if I was by myself. So I, I don't think I could have done it by myself without going all in, but also I couldn't have done it without Matt, obviously. So I think, you know, if you have, if you're in that situation and you have a partner, figure out whether it's your husband, your wife, your friend, whoever you're going into business with, I think it's so important to figure out what each other's strengths are and to trust those strengths. So like, I don't need to be involved in coffee roasting because I know that's not my specialty. And you just have to trust that the other person knows what they're doing and, and your partners for a reason, I guess what I'm trying to say. And I think you just have to trust your people. Like Matt said, everybody that works here, we've, my mentality and our mentality has always been, you hire based on work ethic and personality. Um, you can always teach skill, but we kind of lucked out and we ended up with a staff that has both, which is super rare. So Becky, Caroline, Cole, Clay, you know, my mom that comes help, helps out on some Saturdays. I mean, everybody, it's just all hands on deck. So if you surround yourself with the right partner, with the right people, and you come up with processes to make things go smoothly. So when you're not there in the shop, that as silly as it sounds, but like that somebody has a list to check off. All that stuff just makes things run smoother. So when you can't physically be there, your processes or whatever it is, and, and you have the right team to, to implement it. So you just have to put a lot of faith in the people around you. But if you get that part right, you're going to do okay. Julie and Matt, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do me and the Pittsburgh small business community a huge favor by giving it a rating on your favorite podcast app. It really helps others to find the show so that we can continue to build our community. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. And if you know someone who should be on the podcast or you'd like to connect with me, you can reach me at proprietorsofpittsburgh.com, thestartupshop.net, that's shop spelled S-H-O-P-P-E, or at 412-336-8247. I'm Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Take care.